Before I start this week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast, just the usual note of thanks to Sora Shimazaki at Pexels, who took the photograph which adorns the cover art. Let's crack on with it. Hello and welcome to the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. I'm your host, Chris Kirkbride. Bit of a slow week this week, which is never a bad thing. It's mainly fraud and money laundering which keeps us interested this week, but there are some other bits and pieces added in for flavour. The links to all the main stories are in the podcast description. We start with sanctions where, again, the news is slowing a bit, but in Helsinki, Finland, the EC president, the European Commission president, Ursula von der Leyen, said this week that more sanctions were being prepared against Russia following its invasion of Ukraine. Little detail has emerged, but it was stated that the package would probably include a joining of the coordinated action on the global price cap on Russian oil, which has been implemented along with the G7 and other allies. A couple of other stories linked, almost, I think one of them is definitely linked, the other one probably. First, the UK government has issued guidance on its um, sanctions the Russian oil and oil products sanctions that it has. Anyway, it's issued guidance for firms in relation to that. The link to it is in the podcast description. Secondly, the European Parliament has been hit by a cyber attack this week. In unrelated news, I'm sure it's unrelated, the EU Parliament voted to designate Russia a state sponsor of terrorism with its attacks on civilian infrastructure and what it regarded as violations of international law. The vote was 494 in favour, 58 against. It also included measures relating to war crime indictments, which would be pressed for those who were seen to have been committing any of what it regarded as war crimes. Mm. The vote isn't enforceable, it isn't binding, but it sends a very symbolic message. Now to money laundering. Again, the European Union this week, where discussions continue over the €10,000 limit on physical cash payments, particularly in Germany. This will come as no surprise to anybody who's been listening to this podcast for reasons which will become clear in a moment. This limit comes from a European Commission proposal for an EU-wide cash payment limit of €10,000 which has already been implemented in some member states. Notably, I remember Malta earlier in the year implemented this limit as a matter of law. The limit is a ceiling, and there is a suggestion that some want the level to be lower in an effort to combat financial crime. The reason this has caused so many issues in Germany is that cash remains king in Germany. The German love of cash is something which we covered in episode 21 of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, where the Financial Action Task Force's publication of Germany's mutual evaluation report was critical of the use of cash when it said, with his, and this is a remarkable statistic, 75% of transactions in Germany happen in cash, and Germans have a strong social and historical attachment to cash. Germany typically a good European, may let this one run a little longer as it seeks to grapple with its nation's psyche. However, the big story from the EU this week concerns the Court of Justice of the European Union and the interpretation which it gave to the public access to information provisions of the Fifth 
EU anti-money laundering directive. The court construed the provision as being contrary to privacy rights which the organisations concerned enjoyed. The decision has been broadly condemned by those seeking to combat the use of shell companies and other mechanisms to avoid true beneficial ownership of entities. It remains to be seen whether policymakers in the bloc will react, and if so, how they will do so. Now, we're sticking with the EU still. We're still sticking to it like our lives depend on it. Uh, we're sticking with the EU, which has been busy on the AML front across all sorts of areas this week. And this time it's the European Banking Authority, the EBA, which has published, and this is a quote, its final guidelines on the use of remote customer onboarding solutions. The guidelines set out the steps credit and financial institutions should take to ensure safe and effective remote customer onboarding practices in line with applicable anti-money laundering and countering the financing of terrorism legislation and the European Union's data protection framework. The guidelines apply to all credit and financial institutions that are within the scope of the anti-money laundering directive. The link to the story from the EBA is in the podcast description. That's it for money laundering. Let's Turn our attention to fraud. It's been a really busy week, fraud-wise, this week. A lot going on. We'll start with a report that two Estonians have been arrested in relation to a 575 million US dollar cryptocurrency fraud. Sergei Potapenko and Ivan Turgin, or Turgin are alleged to have defrauded victims through a range of schemes and then laundered the funds through real estate and luxury vehicles. The US Department of Justice is likely to seek their extradition in relation to the offences. Sticking with the US, where the DOJ, the Department of Justice, has also announced four defendants have been indicted for securities fraud by carrying out a global pump-and-dump scheme. Ah, the good old pump-and-dump. Haven't heard about a pump-and-dump for a while. Where the proceeds were then laundered. The four, men, the four men, one Canadian and three Californians, will appear before a federal court on Monday, the 28th of November, linked to the DAJ. The Department of Justice press release is in the podcast description. Sticking with fraud at an international level and an announcement from Interpol this week that a global police operation to address online fraud has resulted in over 1,000 arrests and the seizure of almost 130 million US dollars worth of virtual assets. Operation Hayechi 3 targeted scammers using voice phishing, romance scams, sextortion investment fraud, and other fraudulent schemes to dupe people out of their money. The link to the full Interpol press release is in the podcast description. In a kind of related story, certainly because it's fraud-related and it's a successful operation against fraudsters, this time it's from the UK, where the Metropolitan Police has made more than 100 arrests aimed at taking down a fraudulent operation believed to have targeted 200,000 victims through a website called iSpoof, which allowed scammers to pose as representatives of banks, including all the main players you'd expect, like Barclays, Santander, HSBC, Lloyds, Halifax, and all the other usual suspects. The link to the Metropolitan Police press release is in the podcast description if you'd like to read a little more. We'll stick with the UK this week, where there has been an extraordinary number of stories about the abuse of the bounce-back loan scheme. You'll remember 
I've covered these stories a lot in recent weeks. The bounce-back loan scheme has been variously abused by fraudsters who have sought to scam the taxpayer out of cash in amplifying the scale of their turnover of their firm or claiming money when the firm wasn't even operating and so on and so forth. During the COVID pandemic, the bounce back loan scheme was supposed to be the thing which helped businesses bounce back, Alan Partridge-esque. Well, this week we can see the scale to which it was abused. Four of them, four identified stories this week from the insolvency service. First, two retailers, David Ocott and Jason Meads, they're not related to each other. They've been disqualified as company directors for 11 and 10 years respectively for making fraudulent claims on the bounce back loan scheme. One for a business which had closed before the lockdown, which was March 2020 in the UK, and another which had misrepresented the turnover of its business. In another case, an engineering firm boss has been banned as a, rec a director for 10 years for claiming £40,000 under the bounce-back loan scheme. Again, it was a case of overstating turnover, which has seen the order imposed on Michael Hansen. Another? Why not? <laughs> Uh, it's another 11-year ban, only this time for a Southampton nursing agency boss, Selvendran Ramar. Not only was the business not trading at the operative time, but it also overstated its annual turnover in seeking to secure funding of £45,000. And one more, just for the road, a final one. Anthony James Kilani, an Essex-based property developer, has been banned for 11 years for overstating the turnover of his business to secure £50,000. I think that's enough of those stories. Will there be more next week? I suppose so. It's probably inevitable. Links to all four stories from the Insolvency Service in the UK are in the podcast description. In other fraud news this week, a bit of mopping up now, the UK Security Minister, who's Tom Tugendhat, uh, chaired a session of the Joint Fraud Task Force and welcomed a new victim checklist created by the banking industry. The link to the story and the Take 5 to Stop Fraud initiative are in the podcast description. And finally, on fraud this week, topical because Black Friday was in the last week. In the UK, the Chartered Trading Standards Institute, the CTSI, has urged shoppers to be wary of Black Friday bargains being too good to be true. The consumer organisation in the UK, which I think has also issued something similar, a similar caution in recent weeks. I've never bought anything on Black Friday, so I suppose I'm not the target for this warning. Maybe, just maybe, only buy things when you need them. And if it's a considered purchase, take some time for reflection before committing. The link to the CTSI story is in the podcast description. Now, we end this week with a little bit on corruption. Into the UK, where the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council, which is the final court of appeal for some Commonwealth countries, has refused Jack Warner's appeal against a request for his extradition, which was made by the United States of America. Warner is the former vice president of FIFA and is alleged to have committed bribery, corruption and money laundering by the United States. Sticking with the US, on Monday the 28th of November, the US Supreme Court will hear argument in a case which seeks to determine whether lobbyists should be held to the same exacting ethical standards as those which are applied to public officials. 
there is a great blog post on this on JD Supra, which I have linked in the podcast description. And finally this week to Africa, particularly Malawi, where the vice president, Saulus Chilima, has been arrested on allegations that he corruptly accepted funds in exchange for awarding government contracts. It's alleged that the payments were made by a British businessman who was arrested last year and is currently on bail. That's it for this week's episode of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. If you want to do so, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you'll hear from me again, all being well, next Sunday with the usual roundup of all things financial crime. Have a great week, everyone.